And we did this overexpression of Pamilio in our fly seizure mutants, and we got really excellent recovery from seizure. We almost squashed seizure to zero, far better than any of the drugs we've ever tested. Fellow Homo sapiens, in this week's Epilepsy Sparks Insights podcast, we bring to you part two about how amazing fruit flies are for epilepsy research with guest Richard Baines, a professor and basic scientist at the fly facility at the University of Manchester. Richard shares with us how he uses fruit flies in his epilepsy research, a very cool discovery he has made, and the next steps to take the research further. Hello everyone, um, I'm Richard Baines. I'm a professor and also the head of neuroscience up in the University of Manchester. Lovely, and what do you do? What's your specialization? As a neuroscientist, I've spent a lifetime really studying the fundamental basics of how a brain works. And one of my specific areas is how a brain mains, maintains stability of function over the hundred years or so that a human being will live. And as I've mentioned in uh, part one of this podcast, you know, the brain is a massively dynamic place. It's changing all the time. And so it's evolved its own internal mechanisms to constantly measure and adjust its activity levels to maintain normality of function. So all of us mostly can go about our business and do the things we do. Without having seizures. Without having seizures, yes. How do you research um, abnormalities in the brain? What causes seizures? And, how, you know, just how do you do that using flies? And tell us about your lab. My lab is uh, a fly lab. We use the fruit fly, Drosophila melanogaster. Um, it has a nervous system which works on the same principles as a human nervous, nervous system. The advantage to us is in terms of number, it's massively simplified. So the adult fly mm -hmm. has perhaps a million neurons, probably less. I've never sat down and counted every one. Somebody said to me once it's got 12 neurons on your connections, just in comparison, but the, the difference is huge, isn't it, between us and the flies? Yeah, so you know, the human brain is 80 billion neurons, so massively different. But all of those nerve cells in the fly brain, they talk to one another, in neural circuits, just as our nerve cells do, and they use neurotransmitters as the sort of communication between uh, different neurons, little things called synapses, where chemical transmitters are released. So what we are able to do with the fly is to um, take out the nervous system out and record from nerve cells with either glass electrodes or more recently, we actually can use sort of um, activity sensitive dyes. So you can use fluorescence to look at how nerve cells are changing or activity. So we can see activity patterns in multiple neurons and we can alter that chemically or genetically and then study the mechanisms by which that nervous system uses to try to return the activity back to its stable level. And this is a process called neuronal homeostasis. I, I would love to get like a picture in my brain of, of how this happens. You mentioned in the last episode, like you put them in a straw or the equivalent of a straw and give it a bit of a shake. I'm sure it's not that simple, but... In a whole fly, if we want to induce seizures, you know, we can use uh, a genetically modified fly, which will have a gene mutation, often the same mutation from a human, which would give epilepsy. We can re capitulate that, repeat that, if you like, inside the fly. And behaviorally, we can, you know, uh, shake the fly 
and it disturbs all of its sensory hairs and gives a, a big sensory overload to the central nervous system. And that gives you a seizure. But clearly, if you've taken the nervous system out to study it, you can't do that. So what we can do is use various drugs, which are called pro-convulsants. They modify um, synaptic neurotransmission, as we call it. This is the signaling between nerve cells. So we promote excitation rather than inhibition. And the nervous system becomes overexcited, just as though you've shaken it in the tube. And then we can actually look at what's happening with those nerve cells. We can manipulate the genetic background. We can ask what chemicals, what proteins are changing in those uh, nervous systems. And could you tell us any sort of discoveries that you've made in your research? I mentioned, you know, I've spent probably 20 or so years studying uh, these homeostatic mechanisms. And we now have pretty good understanding of them, actually. And one of the key players is a protein. It's a protein we call Pamilio. And the protein acts to regulate all sorts of different downstream targets inside nerve cells in attempt to always maintain stability of activity. Now we noticed uh, just from reading the literature that there'd been some reports of uh, seizures in mouse models where Pamilio had been downregulated genetically. And so we looked in our fly seizure animals and we also saw a down regulation, not enough, Pamilio. So the first thing we did was to overexpress Pamilio genetically. And using a fly, that's quite a simple thing to do. It takes a few weeks. A mouse would take a few months. And we did seizure mutants. And we got really excellent recovery from seizure. We almost squashed seizure to zero. Far better than any of the drugs we've ever tested. And so we've started to translate our work from basic science working on Pamilio now into the sort of preclinical work. And we've identified some drug compounds that when the fly ingests, Pamilio is boosted and it gives the sort of nervous system a protective uh, effect against seizures. What are next steps then with, with this specific drug? So the next step is this sort of translational pipeline, which we've talked about in the first podcast. So uh, using the expertise of colleagues around Manchester, we've also now used those same drugs in mouse models of seizure, and they work very well. So again, what we're looking at is a potentially novel way to treat epilepsy in humans, a totally new drug target. One that actually exploits the intrinsic mechanisms of the brain literally the way that it works so and yeah. so rather the like the epileptogenesis rather than just treating the seizures is that what you mean well in many ways it's really helping the brain to help itself so so far you know there's probably 40 anti-epileptic drugs as we call them been developed and released into the clinic and for about two-thirds of patients they offer good to sometimes excellent relief, but they come with side effects and so on. But for about a third of patients, actually no drug seems to be of much use. And there's now quite a lot of debate about whether further drugs designed through the traditional manner will ever be sufficient. And so what we've done using the fly to generate a novel idea is to come up with a totally different way of potentially treating epilepsy 
one that hijacks the human brain's own mechanism, which has been on, you know, it's been evolving for millions of years to do just that. And the nice part about the, the system we have developed is the drug we have seems to be effective in a whole range of different sorts of seizure models. So normally uh, drugs are effective in one type of model or a different type of model, suggesting they'd be selective if they ever made it to the clinic. The one we have now, which we're trying to develop, seems to work in every system we've used so far. So because it's targeting a totally different way of doing things. Pretty cool stuff. And so I'm, I'm always very conscious we don't get, you know, people, our listeners, whether they, well, whether they be clinicians, patients, families, um, we don't want them to get too excited because there can be a long, long, you know, process going from, well, flies to rodents to humans. Exactly. Um, so just to put things in perspective, how are, how are things looking about the potential for um, this drug to reach us, Homo sapiens? Yeah, no, you're right. Um, there's a lot of new developments hit the hit the headlines and they're many, many years away. And this is exactly the case here. What I think we've done to this point is shown as a proof of principle that these endogenous mechanisms can be targeted by drugs for human benefit. The drug we have um, works in the lab, but it works at somewhat higher dose, so it would have to be modified. And we have no idea of long-term consequences and safety profiles and all of the sorts of things that drugs have to go through. So what we're doing at the moment, this is with help actually from Epilepsy Research UK funding, we're starting to look at how suitable the treatments we have are long-term. And if they, have a positive output and that's going to take the next couple of years or so, we would then start to think about longer trials again in animals and bigger group numbers. And then probably in five to 10 years time, it might start, if it makes all of those hurdles, to think about trials in very few numbers of uh, patients. But yeah, um, this is not going to be happening in the next year or so. It's 10 years plus down the line, which you know most drugs take about 20 years from discovery through to the clinic because uh, we have to be 100% sure and we've made mistakes in the past uh, that any drug released really has to have a high safety profile and that the barrier for that increases you know every decade so it's a challenge. It's so understandable but then from the other side of the coin uh, you know lots of us are especially those who effectively have uh, low life expectancy as the result of our epilepsy we're like dude, I'll just try it. I don't care, you know, that we're kind of not allowed, you know? Yeah, again, and you know, there is, there is a history of scientists doing just that to prove uh, various points. But um, you know, we live in a very legal world these days and there's very few uh, companies will ever uh, just let you try something anymore, <laughs> I'm afraid. Yeah. And um, yes, that's a different... It's a different argument for a different day, I think. (laughs) Indeed it is. Okay, wonderful. Is there anything else people can do to find out more about your research and also that of other people researching flyers for the purpose of developing drugs for epilepsy? Where should we go to learn more? Well, again, um, my website will direct you into various different places. We also have uh, the Manchester Fly Facility. And if you were to Google that, they'll give you a lot of background information about flies. And in fact, um, just 
putting into any search engine, I shouldn't favor Google, should I? Um, <laughs> flies and epilepsy will bring up different review articles, which um, sometimes, you know, um, depending on your scientific background, some are easier to digest than others. Um, and it's really interacting with people like the Epilepsy Research UK and different international epilepsy charities. Um, it, it's actually quite comforting now that more and more industry and charities are realizing that you know work doesn't have to always be on a mammal but these sorts of models yes. actually make a big contribution and so they are starting to include links and data to those sorts of animals well thank you again so much for joining us richard i'm sure you'll have lots of hits on that on the website now just people totally i know want to learn more so thank you again and we will hopefully speak to you soon thank you enjoyed it thank you thanks again to richard for sharing with us one of his key discoveries and what a crucial part fruit flies do play when it comes to epilepsy research if you'd like to connect, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook or Instagram. And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>